0: hello and welcome to mr president from otrgold.com this episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors
1: Mr. President, starring Metro Goldwyn Mayor's Edward Arnold. Mr. President at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House, dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear, true human stories of Mr. President.
0: i present Edward Arnold as Mr. President in just a moment. But first, may we point out the truth of the saying, history repeats itself. For instance, did you know that there has been a president of the United States who was a general in our army and who was drafted for the presidency? Did you know that there was a president who broke with both regular parties and formed a third party of his own? Yes, these incidents sound familiar to you in the light of your own times, and yet they all happened many years ago. They all have been told in warm human detail by Mr. President. Here on this weekly radio program, you listen to those stories and learn of the great men who have made our history and our country the pride of all our citizens. Listen now to this story and see if you can name the president whose career this story is about. Now in just a moment, Edward Arnold. <laughs>
1: Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday, and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the long hall to the president's study. Oh, hello. Come in. Sit down, won't you? You know, it's been my experience that many people try to expand the old saying, all's fair love and war, so that it will include politics. The results have brought about some strange presidential campaigns with slime and mud flying in all directions. As a matter of fact, the people of the United States are rarely, if ever, fooled by that technique. Watch now and see how it developed in this campaign. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which president this happened to, but meanwhile, you may be able to guess. I was governor of my state when all this began. My party was the outs at the time. Our opposition was in the White House. But it was a presidential year, and hopes were running high. Even Miss Sarah seemed somewhat affected by the situation the morning in August when she came into the governor's office. She said...
2: Governor... Governor, it's come.
1: What's come, Miss Sarah?
2: Official notice: you are nominated for the presidency, the presidency of the United States.
1: Miss Sarah, when our opposition was in convention, I said I was not particularly interested in running.
2: Well, yes, sir, but you said too that if Senator Butler was nominated, you would consider running against him. I
1: know, Miss Sarah. When a man like Senator Butler throws his hat in the ring,
2: backed by some of the worst politicians and political machines in history,
1: I suppose I should accept the nomination.
2: I, it <laughs> will be exciting to call you Mr. President. <laughs> oh, oh, careful,
1: Miss Sarah. Careful, as the baseball players say. You may jinx it. <laughs> After all, I haven't officially said yes.
2: But the party's convention has nominated you.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take care of it right now with a letter, huh? Are you ready?
2: Uh, yes, sir, ready.
1: Ah, uh, let me see. Uh, give it the proper heading, you know. <clears throat> uh, gentlemen, you offer honor and with it the greatest responsibility in the world today. In accepting, I also indicate my willingness to assume the responsibilities which may become mine. As you know, I am in full approval of the pledges in our party's platform, and I feel that nothing further is required of me at this time except the suggestion of certain well-known truths, vital to the safety and welfare of the Union. We proudly call ours a government by the people. It is not such when a class is tolerated which arrogates to itself the management of... Yes, come in. Uh,
2: Gentlemen, to see you this morning, Governor.
1: Anything surprising in that? Well, in the presence of
2: this gentleman, there is, sir.
1: Well, he wouldn't be a member of our opposition party, would he?
2: And a famous one, sir. It's Carl Shirts. No,
1: Shirts. Well, well, bring him in, Miss Sarah. Bring him in at once. <laughs>
2: yes, Governor. Uh, Mister Shirts, this way, please. Thank you, madam.
1: Uh, Good morning, Governor. Good morning, Shirts. Good morning. I can't say this as much as a a surprise. You follow the newspapers, I see, Governor. Yes, anyone in politics makes a point of following the papers, not, of course, that we believe everything we read. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sir, you understand, then, that I'm here as the leader of the insurgents and independents in your opposition to offer you our support. Oh, after Senator Puttle was nominated, I expected and looked forward to this visit. Men of liberal thought outside my party will be rather lonely during the coming campaign. <laughs> to say the least. Uh, frankly, Governor, I would like to see a new alignment in the two-party system. There are some groups in your party who seem to belong more with the opposition than with you. And with us, shirts. Uh, thank you, Governor. You're more than welcome in our midst. In fact, if the city machine decides to desert us, I think your organization will be, m- well, more than make up for the loss. <laughs> we'll do our best, sir. Which brings me to the question direct, Governor. Now, what kind of a campaign do you plan, and how do we fit in? Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, shirts. Uh, my instinct is to do as little campaigning as possible. After all, I have the state to run, and if my friends can make the speeches for me, well, I have a hunch that a man sticking to his desk doing the job the people elected him to do is a better candidate in their minds than a fellow who lets the papers pile up while he's off somewhere shaking hands and making speeches. Uh, It certainly is a different kind of campaign. Mm, But you have an idea that a man ought to speak for himself. Uh, Perhaps. As the campaign stands now, it's hard to tell. If our opposition uncorks a few firecrackers, the picture may change. Well, in the meantime, I'll play it as I planned. and stay right here on the job. Senator, we've got to get at him, and the only way we can reach him is personally. Oh, I don't know, Ben. I'm just not sure. After all, I'm running for president, and a senator is supposed to be above such matters. Uh, the people don't think of me that way. I know. Sir Galahad Butler, the plumed knight riding to defend their rights. Well, not exactly, Sir Galahad, Ben, but a man who wants to be president isn't supposed to deal in slime. Now, look, Senator, do you doubt the governor is a strong opponent? He's as strong as the devil himself. Well, let's face it. Short's desertion to his side is a blow, a bad one. Ben, what do you want? The helper in affair? That story? Of course. It's all the markings, farmers upstate New York will swallow it whole in their pretty straight-laced crowd. And, Senator, we've got to carry New York. It's pure mud, Ben. Well, it won't spatter you. I'll see to that. The story can be released without your previous knowledge. <laughs> Close quote. You can deny having any part of it. But once it's out, the damage will be done. Hmm. All right, Ben, use the story. And I'd like to see the expression on Carl Schert's face when that one... Thank you, sir. Paper?
3: Paper? Get right, the
1: paper! Carl, what's in that paper? You look as if you've seen a ghost. I have a ghost which we can't drive completely away, Dave. Well, let me see, Carl. There it is. Headline. Governor tied to widow. Oh. Will publication of old letters and other evidence affect the governor's campaign hopes? Ha! <laughs> ha! Will they affect his hopes? It's all here, Carl. All of it. Yeah, I know. Will he deny it, do you suppose? What good is a denial? The more he denies, the more they believe. The damage is done. Do you suppose Butler approved this? I would not put it past him. Probably engineered by that Ben Grady. Now, ask Butler, and he will say he knew about it when it came out in the papers. Of course. Oh, what's the use, David? You work hard, bring the real issues to the people, and... A stupid smear can ruin everything. Oh, it's almost funny, Carl. Butler's private life is is untouchable. Husband, father, householder, the ultimate in respectability. Butler's public life? Something else again. Uh, yeah. The governor, on the other hand, seems to have had his his youthful escapades, but his public life is beyond reproach. Yeah, but tell that to the farmers of New York State after they read this newspaper. <laughs> Governor, you know my friend David's story. No? I've had that pleasure. How are you, Story? Well, sir... Mm, you could be better, both of you. I <laughs> well, I'm afraid so, sir. I've mm-hmm. been trying to persuade Carl here, sir, so that this hail Puntail is not nearly as damaging to us as he seems to think. I see. You think it's a real blow to you, shirts? I'm afraid so, Governor. If there were really something we could do... You remember our, origin deci- our original decision. My friends will speak for me. Then we have your permission to deny... No, 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 no. Our campaign is on the issues... Not on the personalities involved. But this direct attack, this vilification... There is I... only one course open to us, gentlemen. Tell the truth. To admit that what they say is true? Oh, it would be better to ignore the whole matter. If we ignore it, shirts, we will be accused of fear. Denial can be worse than admission. But the facts speak for themselves. And those facts, sir? Uh... What happened, happened. There is no controverting that. I think you can point out that our opposition took occasion to leave out certain salient facts. To suit their own purposes. But beyond the truth... I will not permit you to go. This is your final word, Governor. It is, gentlemen. Uh, Thank you, Governor. I only hope, Governor, that David is right and I'm wrong, that the final result will not be too much affected by this incident. Perhaps it won't be. I can hope with you, shirts. Uh, Good morning, sir. Good morning, gentlemen. And thank you for coming. Come in.
2: I, uh... That is the, uh... Gentlemen seem more cheerful when they left you, Governor, than when they arrived.
1: Mr. Story felt better, but Mr. Schurz, I'm afraid, is uh, <laughs> disillusioned.
2: Disillusioned? I can hardly believe that. But what
1: I mean is uh, that we who were born here have a tendency to be a little careless sometimes, while men like Carl, who was, well, like Carl Schurz, who were from abroad, venerate freedom and democracy because they once lived without it. In any case, Schurz expected this election to be fought on the issues. Instead, he finds me attacked with an old and long-past scandal. That certainly isn't a scandal anymore. That's disillusionment, Miss
2: Yes, sir, I understand now. It um, makes me hesitate to uh, call your attention to this matter. Hmm? This uh, communication arrived while the gentlemen were in conference with you, sir.
1: Mm-hmm. I see, Louisville, Kentucky. Yes,
2: and uh, Mr. Joseph Davis, sir. Mm.
1: Your Excellency, I have evidence of a nature which may prove vital to the success of your campaign. Following the attacks upon your person, I feel it my duty as a lifelong member of your party to offer these proofs to you. However, such is the nature of my evidence that I can't trust it to the males, but must present it in person. Enclosed herewith is one small piece of evidence to show you the validity of where is this evidence, Miss Sarah? I am,
2: um, um, here it is, sir.
1: A for David concerning a child's gravestone bearing the names of John F. and Helen Butler as parents. I see, I see. If it would, wouldn't it.
2: It would fight fire with fire,
1: sir. Yes, Miss Sarah. I want you to telegraph this Joseph Davis at once, advise him to come here as quickly as he can, and to bring his other evidence with him. I want him and all his evidence in this office where I can see them both with my own eyes. <laughs> In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President.
0: As Attorney General Tom Clark has pointed out, the juvenile delinquent problem is one of the most serious facing the nation. And whose fault is this? Well, let's look at the facts. Strains in family life, insufficient housing, teacher shortages, and inadequate school facilities are just a few of the factors contributing to the rise in delinquency. Many times, lack of interest by the parents and their children is another great factor. But all these things are not the faults of the children themselves. There's something each one of us can work to correct. And there's no better time to start than right now, Youth Month. Work in your community for better playgrounds, improved school conditions, proper mental health, and child guidance clinics. Do it now, this month, National Youth Month. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President.
1: Perhaps you've already guessed which president this happened to. But wait and see if you're right. As we moved into the crucial weeks of the campaign, the last weeks of September and then October... My party carried on a dignified and, I think, intelligent campaign. But when Carl Schurz came to see me in the executive office of my state capital, he said, Governor, I think we need one big explosion to wipe out that Helfen story. I'm still plagued by that, are we? Maybe not so much as in the beginning, but it is like a fire in a mattress. It smoulders and bursts forth where you least expect it. That's American politics, Schurz. Politics, perhaps. Democratic process, no. Then you think we're losing ground? We lost ground, definitely. How much we have regained, I cannot say. Mm-hmm. It's not the popular vote that counts in the end, shirts. It's the electoral vote. You know that. Yeah, I do. And that is why New York State, with more electors than any other, well, there we will win or lose, Governor. And that is why I'm here today. So, you have an idea, Schertz? I have more than an idea. I have ammunition, which I think we must use. Uh, my good friend David Storey has been to Boston. Yes, now. yes. You will remember that Senator Butler held stock in a railroad which benefited from legislation passed while he was in the Senate. Yes, of course. I thought the operation was clear and above board. But David has unearthed a letter by the Senator to a friend requesting that the Senator be whitewashed. The Senator enclosed a copy of this letter of vindication as he wished his friend to write it, and he added on the bottom, burn this letter. Only the Senator's friend failed to burn the letter, and we have it. I see Church, the public have a right to know that. Yes. Use it. Use it. That's politics. That's the hint of corruption in public life. That's not a hail pond scandal. Use it by all means. With your permission, Governor, we will see that letter printed in every newspaper in the country. Now, I'd better hurry and see that everything gets going. Good day. A very good day, Governor. Good day. Uh, Sarah? Uh,
3: Yes,
2: Governor.
1: We had any word from that Davis fellow in Louisville?
2: Well, just the telegram, sir, to tell you he was coming.
1: I want him here before anyone, to- uh, anyone else talks to him. That's ammunition. That's what he's bringing, more campaign ammunition.
2: Mr. Schertz looked as if he had some ammunition, Governor, when he left just now.
1: He should have, Miss Sarah. He has three small words that will be the end of Governor Butler, I hope.
2: Three small words?
1: Sir. Yes, Miss Sarah. Burn this letter, burn this letter, burn this letter! <laughs> Ah, just a minute. Close it. Well, it's quite a parade. And torchlight, too. <laughs> Governor's quite a following around here. Story and mulligan. Yes, and shirts. This is their doing. I'd like to have the. Hey, Senator, now take it easy. no use running a fever now. You're a little careless with your mail, and your friend Fisher did not burn the letter. It's not going to cost us the election, you know. Isn't it? Listen to them. They're positively (laughs) gleeful. cheer up, man. An old campaigner like you... The word from New York is pretty dismal, or have you forgotten? There's an easy answer to all of this. Go ahead. You tell me. Now, let's go on a speaking tour. They want you for mass meetings. They want you in New York City to review a parade of businessmen for Butler. They want you for a dinner afterwards. you can do more good for yourself in New York City in one day. And if we make a whirlwind tour of the country first, winding up in New York, Senator, you'll have the election in the bag. All right, Ben. Set up our itinerary. We'll make that tour. And put out the fire that letter started. And I am indeed honored. Yes, flattered that although my schedule permits me only a few moments in this beautiful town, I am honored indeed that so many of you came to the station to wish me well. Thank you, my friends, and farewell for now. Well, Ben, how is that for an impromptu platform speech? Impromptu, my hat. It was brief address number 12, file case number 2, for use at small Midwestern town when sun is (laughs) shining. But it sounded unrehearsed, didn't it? Oh, you sound... (laughs) What's your opinion, Ben. Are we gaining by this tour? We're gaining anything, Senator. And if you figure that we jumped way ahead on that Hilpern deal, then we're in, with votes to spare. Provided, that is, nothing breaks for the other side. And so I dare say to you, gentlemen gathered here after this most sumptuous banquet, our party brought prosperity both to this great metropolis of New York and to the nation as a whole. Never in all history has there been an increase in wealth in a brief period equal to yours? And our party is not arrogant when we take the credit for organizing and maintaining an industrial system which has enabled you to make this marvelous progress. We are not on trial. We have elevated the standard of America and increased its wealth in a ratio never before of. Ah, here you are, Governor. I had hoped that the spectacle of Senator Butler addressing a dinner meeting of millionaires of New York would show the American people whose servant he is. But apparently my hope is forlorn. In America, shirts sure, every man dreams of himself as a millionaire. And so every man thinks that the senator is speaking for him. Well, it's not good, Governor. What we gain with burn this letter is lost. And New York... Ah, it was very bad in New York. Well, perhaps if we had held up the letter, the uh, water over the dam. If we could find something else that was startling, something else to help the people see the truth. <clears throat> Those things are rare, shirts sure. as rare as people who don't burn letters when they're told to. No. Come,
2: Governor. I wouldn't have interrupted, but you told me when Mr. Davis is here. Yes, mm-hmm. at once.
1: Sir. I'll wait outside, Governor. On the contrary, I want you here, shirts.
2: Uh, this is Mr. Joseph Davis, sir. Mr. Davis, the governor.
1: How do you do, governor? This is an honor, sir. Thank you. This is Mr. Shirts, Mr. Davis. Uh, Mr. Davis, how do you
3: do? Thank how you. do you do, Mr. Shirts?
1: You may speak freely, Mr. Davis. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, I, uh, as, as you know, sir, I have certain evidence. The story is quite simple, sir. I have here a picture of a tombstone. And here is an attested copy of a marriage certificate. The tomb is that of Senator Butler's eldest child, who died at the age of three. You will notice, sir, that the date of birth of that child, as given on the stone, coincides exactly with the date of the marriage certificate of Senator Butler and his wife. This is unbelievable.
2: Good heavens.
1: Go on, Mr. Davis. It is known down in Kentucky, in a certain limited section, sir, that uh, the senator and his wife were married down there by an itinerant minister. A year before the dates on the certificate and the tombstone. But that minister filed no certificate, sir. So the senator and Mrs. Butler were remarried, for the record, the day their first son was born. I follow you. Go on. However, sir, (laughs) we need not mention the unrecorded wedding. They failed to mention many of the unimportant truths uh, about uh, the Halepern affair. I understand, Mr. Davis. You've come to a great deal of trouble on my behalf, haven't you? Well, it's no trouble, really, Governor, really. These are all the proofs? Uh, Yes, sir, yes, sir. I kept no copies for safety, sir. I see. That's very wise. My sincere thanks, Mr. Davis. Uh, Not at all, sir, not at all. Uh, Do you recognize this? Why, yes, sir. It's the affidavit I sent you. Is it, Miss Sarah?
2: Well, yes, sir.
1: Now I'm placing it with these other papers. Once across this way, and across this way, again and again. But, sir, thank you, Mr. Davis. The other side can have a monopoly on all the dirt in this campaign. Governor, I still think you should have used that material. Fair is fair. Or fire with fire, perhaps. But two wrongs don't make a right story. And in any case, election night is a little late to bring that up again. Well, you know how David is, Governor. Never satisfied. Uh, Your job on Burn This Letter was a wonderful story. Thank you, sir. It was good. But old Butler killed himself for that millionaire dinner, after all. How anyone could be so stupid in the middle of a depression to eat that dinner and make that speech. So we didn't need to throw mud, after all. And I am amazed. Amazed. Your plurality, sir, everywhere. I am tempted to call you Mr. President, sir. No, not quite so fast, story. Our popular vote is wonderful, but it's the old story without New York State's electoral votes in our column. Any minute now, they'll concede. It's not so very close in New York. It's a little too close for comfort shirts. Just a trifle too close.
2: A telegram just off the wire, Governor. Butler concedes, Miss Sarah. I'm afraid not, Mr. Story. Senator Butler is not conceding until the last precinct vote is in. In fact, he's demanding a recount in New York State. A
1: recount? Oh, my. Well... Well... If that's the case, there's nothing we can do here tonight. No. Yes, exactly. I propose we all go home.
2: And uh, here are two bills the legislature has just passed and sent along to you, sir. Uh, this pardon for a man in state prison, also some correspondence in relation to the development of waterways. The uh, highway commission sent these on to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. What's God troubling me? you, Miss Sarah? Well, well, it's five days since election. How you can sit there and never even ask about the result? I
1: think we know the will of the people, Miss Sarah. They repudiated repudiated Senator Butler and his party decisively in a great many states. I uh,
2: guess I I just want your permission to call you Mr. President. Oh,
1: now, now, enough of that, Miss Sarah. There's work to be done. And I'm the governor. And will continue to be until midnight, December the 31st. Uh, Forgive me, sir, for bursting in on you. Word has just come from the telegraph office. It must be a good word, Shirts, from the look of you.
2: Is he, Mr. Shirts? Is he? Senator
1: Butler has at last conceded. They accept the recount. You, sir, are our next president. Oh, thank you. Congratulations, sir.
2: Yes, sir. Congratulations. You know,
1: Shirts, Miss Zara here was rather worried. She has all her plans made for the White House. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. But frankly, I'm very glad to hear it. I'm more than glad that they yield peaceably. For in any event, I should have felt it my duty to take the office of President of the United States on the 4th of March next year. Well, you've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment.
0: Out of the past come stories powerful in their concept, dramatic in their scope. This year, the American Broadcasting Company is again proud to present the greatest story ever told every Sunday. You'll hear dramas that happened over 2,000 years ago, dramas of pomp and glory, of kings and slaves, and especially of one man whose voice was heard above the crowd. Who was this man with strange and miraculous powers? Some called him friends. His enemies feared him. But his life has been read and studied by all for centuries. Hear about this man who many called the master on the greatest story ever told when it's heard Sunday over most of these ABC stations. Now, here again is Edward Arnold. <laughs>
1: The campaign and the events you heard about in this story today took place in 1884 when Grover Cleveland won the election from James G. Blaine. President Cleveland's campaign was complicated by the press release of, a, of an old scandal and by the fact that Cleveland insisted on working at his job of governor of New York State all during the election struggle. However, he received tremendous help from the independents led by that great American citizen of German birth, Carl Schurz. Both Cleveland and Schertz believed that the great test of democracy lay in waging a campaign on the issues of the day and that you can't fool Americans by throwing mud. Their victory seems to have proven them right and that politics is not part of the old saying, all is fair in love and war. See me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you then, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. Appeared by arrangement with Metro Goldwyn Mayer, producers of Julia Misbehaves, starring Greer Garson and Walter Pigeon. <laughs> Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Leonard Reed. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. This story by Ira Marion was suggested by incidents in the life of President Grover Cleveland. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adlam. <laughs>
0: to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.